And I uh, just have two quick, two quick announcements to draw your attention to. Um, and the first one is yesterday was a big day um, in the lives of many people around our community. And part of that had to do with some of the work that we were able to throw in on. And so if you were a part of Love Does at any of the four locations that we um, had activity at, would you just stand up for a second? Thank you guys for serving. Thank you guys for serving our community. If I were to tell you um, all the stuff we were, we were able to accomplish um, yesterday, I would have to start making up stories and lying to you because I don't, I don't actually know. I just know there were lots of people involved and we did lots of stuff, whether it was handing out food here or working at all the King's Horses or down at Underover. Um, we had a lot, of, a lot of things going on and a lot of people involved in it. And so it's good to see that kind of stuff. Thank you guys for serving. Um, the second announcement is um, we remind you often and want to, again, um, to remember to download the Church Center app. Everything that you want to get involved in at CBC, you can get involved in through that app. You can sign up for things, see our calendar, check your kids in, do all sorts of stuff. So go download it. And if you have trouble, um, go ask Perry Lee. Perry Lee is a tech-savvy guy. Don't ask Perry Lee. Ask Ask anybody other than Perry Lee. You can get help. You guys stand up with us and we're going to begin.
awesome are your ways how majestic is your name in all the earth oh lord our lord may we see your kingdom come father may your will be done in all the stars you set in motion oh god i sing all glory and honor what is man that you are mindful the son of man that you would care for him we sing all glory and honor oh lord our lord oh how awesome my Majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, may we see your kingdom come. Father, may your will be done in all the earth. In all the earth you gave dominion to your children and you crowned them, oh God. Glory and honor, so we sing of your name, live our lives for your greatness, oh God, your glory and honor, oh Lord, our Lord, oh how awesome are your ways, how majestic is your name in all the opportunity we have because of your son. We ask this morning that you would draw close to us, that you would teach us, that you would make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. 
You guys can be seated. If you're one of our kids, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Waypoints for the Journey is our sermon series uh, that we are nearing completion. Next week, we finish it out with our final core value. It's a series where we have looked at the vision, mission, and core values we believe the Lord has given to us through discussion, through biblical study, and through prayer. And we are excited to unveil that. And these waypoints are simply checkpoints. They don't chart the path for us, but they do allow us to know if we are on the path, if we are accomplishing this, doing, actually living out what God has given us to do in the coming uh, season of the life of Conroe Bible Church, of our church family. The fifth core value that we're looking at today is called faithful engagement. Now, core values are constant, passionate, biblical core beliefs that drive our ministry. And we've looked at each one of the adjectives over the past few weeks. Today, we look at the word biblical. That's pretty easy, right? When we are biblical, we are aligning with God's will, God's word for us. And when you look at our core values on the website, you'll see that each one is chock full of biblical references, that we want it to be filled with scripture. We want it to come right off the pages of scripture. And that is one of our chief desires. And that is what is taking place with uh, this journey as we look at these waypoints. So the fifth one is faithful engagement. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in your presence. We thank you for being led by you. And we ask that as we even consider this core value of faithful engagement, that you would give us the grace to hear from you. You would give us the grace to understand what it means to follow you. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Faithful engagement means an ever-deepening love relationship with Jesus. That's how we want to follow him. Jesus made a generous invitation open to everyone and anyone when he said, follow me. Now, we don't follow Jesus to a specific locale. We're not going to go back to Israel and walk the steps that he walked. Following Jesus is relational. It has to do with staying connected with him. And as he leads us and guides us and empowers us through the spirit, he transforms us from the inside out. And as we stay connected with him, then we stay on mission for him. And we carry out what he has called us to do in this world. So we are called to follow Jesus. We don't simply follow his commands. We are discipling one another, teaching one another to observe all that he has commanded but we obey him out of love. There's always a vital link between our love for Jesus in response to his love for us and our obedience to him. Our core value is faithful engagement. So today we're going to look at Jesus' call to discipleship. We're going to look at three things as we go through this. Jesus' call to discipleship in Luke chapter 9. It's a, it's a call to anyone and to everyone that demands a response. And then we're going to look at Mark chapter one, a day in the life of Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus in service of ministry? And then the third thing we'll look at, we'll just ask the question, what does it look like in our lives if we're going to follow him and we're going to be changed by him? If we're going to stay connected to him, how might he lead us? So let's dig in. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23 first. And what we see is that faithful engagement starts with answering the call to follow. Jesus gives us an invitation here. And he makes it available to everyone. In fact, Mark makes it very clear in his gospel that when Jesus makes this invitation, he summons the crowd around. So he's not just talking to the 12 disciples here. He is talking to the crowd and everyone. And he's inviting anyone and everyone to follow him. This is what he says. And he was saying to them all, 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I know you're so excited to come to worship and hear first thing, deny yourself, take up your cross. Well, let's try to unpack that just a little bit. Jesus is generous in this invitation. And this expression to come after is an interesting expression in that culture. It was used of a lover coming after the beloved one. It's used after a learner coming after the teacher. It's used after a servant coming after the master. But most often expressed in romantic situations. When Gwen and I were dating, I did some crazy things. I'm sure you can think back to the same thing in your life. I am not a morning person at all. In fact, if the world was operating correctly, uh, we would be, you know, fine just being awake and at it from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. That's when I'm most alert. Now, I don't stay up that late, unfortunately, because I have to get up in the morning. But it just gives you a little idea of who I am. But when Gwen and I were dating, we would meet at the rec center because I wanted to see her. I wanted to be with her. I was in passionate pursuit of her in this loving relationship. We would meet at the rec center across from the school where she taught at 5.45 a.m. There were a couple times I didn't go to bed because, you know, why, why waste a good night, right, when you got to get up so early? I was passionately in love with her, and I was willing to do things that were not normal for me because I wanted to be with her. That's what Jesus is saying here. If anyone wishes to come after me, if you're willing to be passionate, if you want to respond to the love that I have for you, if you find in me something that's irresistibly drawing you to me, then come on, come after me. He continues, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Now, never confuse denying yourself with self-denial. We're in the season of Lent. And so some people have given up social media or some people have given up chocolate or some people have given up this and that. So that they might focus more deeply on the Lord. And that is admirable. That is self-denial. But that is not denying yourself. When Jesus says deny yourself here, he is referring to the fact that there are two ways to approach life. You and I can approach life from our perspective. We can go our way. We can follow our agenda. We can see ourselves as the controlling agent of our lives. Or we can go God's way as opposed to our way. We can see Jesus as the controlling agent of our lives. We can choose to follow him. So if we're going to deny ourselves, we are going to set aside our agenda and our plans in willingness to follow him. This word deny is used twice in the Gospels, and you're quite familiar with the second time that it's used. It's used of Peter. When the Lord said, you're going to deny me three times, and when Peter was challenged there as he followed Jesus after Jesus was arrested, Peter would swear up and down, no, I, I don't know that man. I don't follow him. He is not part of my plan. And so denying ourself might look like this. It might look like you and me looking in the mirror and saying, I don't follow him. I don't choose to go his way. I choose to go Jesus' way. Denying ourselves doesn't get rid of our personalities, doesn't get rid of our giftedness and our talents, everything that God has given to us. Denying ourselves simply says we're not going to go our way. We're not going to be self-centered about life because we can't be if we choose to follow Jesus. We might even be willing to tell ourselves, you know, I know there are times when you'd like to be served, but today you're going to take up the towel and serve others. I know there are times when you'd like to give someone a piece of your mind, but today you're going to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. I know there are times when you'd like to be first, but today we're going to be last. Working through scenarios of the day 
that remind us that Jesus is in control and that we want him to be the one who leads us. The word deny is used twice that way. Deny ourselves mean we're willing to alter our own agendas to follow the agenda which Jesus sets out for us. Well, that's the first phrase. The second phrase just kind of tightens the screws, if you will. Take up your cross daily. Daily is a reminder that we must be intentional about this. Daily is a reminder that we must stay connected to Jesus to be reminded of staying on mission for Jesus. Daily informs us that we never plateau in the Christian life, that there is always a way for God to challenge us to a deeper walk with him. There are always things in our life that he can refine and that he can help us shed in order to become more like Jesus. We must choose daily to live out our loyalty to Christ. Well, when Jesus says, take up your cross, that must have come as an incredible shock to the people that were surrounding him. Because they knew the cross. The Roman cross was a place of great pain, but more importantly, it was a place of great shame. When the Romans put their enemies and their rebels on a cross, the first thing they made them do before they put them on the cross was to carry the cross beam through public places. And what this said was, I am now in submission to the authority of Rome even though I was once in rebellion against it. So Jesus is telling these people, if you want to be my follower, you're going to identify with me. And you're going to say, I'm going to be in submission to the Father, even though I was once a rebel. We can do that, right? If we've chosen to let Jesus be the controlling agent in our lives and not ourselves any longer. Take up your cross daily. When Jesus took up the cross, he was identifying with the Father's will. And if you remember, it came with a little bit of a struggle, just like you and I face. When we choose to respond to God out of loving obedience. It was in the garden that Jesus prayed, would you let this cup pass from me to the Father? But he did submit to the will of the Father. He said, but not my will be done, your will be done. It's quite all right to be honest with God. To let him know the struggles that we're having. Because what we're doing is we're telling him we've got to depend upon him. We're telling him we're intentional about following him, submitting to him. But we're dependent on his power to change us and to give us strength and to guide us through the circumstances of life. Jesus did that. Denying ourselves means that we'll go God's way as opposed to our way. When he transforms us into Christ-likeness, he does it in a way that retains our personality, our giftedness. He's not getting rid of who we are. He's empowering us to be who we are in Christ Jesus. We must let our allegiance to Jesus permeate every area of life. And that happens as we stay connected to him. And stay on mission for him. There are some things that need to be clearly eliminated from our lives when we follow Jesus. And they are clear. And they are easy to identify. But there is also a personalized cost when it comes to following Jesus. And there are ways that he refines me that he doesn't refine you. And there are ways that he looks into your life and says, here's where we want you to follow. Here's where I want to get a hold of your heart. There are ways that he does that in my life. And they could be perfectly legitimate things. They're not immoral or unbiblical, but they may be good things that have gotten in the way of following Jesus. Good things that have the opportunity to become idols in our lives if we give them greater attention and spend more concentration upon them. For the rich young ruler, by way of example, Jesus said, you're going to have to give up all your money and all your possessions. That was a barrier for him to following Jesus. But for Joseph of Arimathea, it wasn't getting rid of all his wealth. He just needed to make the decision to identify with Jesus, which he did 
after the death of Jesus, and he opened up one of his burial tombs to allow the Lord to be entombed there. Our attitudes toward money, marriage, ethics, time, where we give our energy, ministry, all come under submission to our Lord Jesus. As we submit to him and learn submission, he leads us. We are called to follow him. And I like how Eugene Peterson captured the nature of discipleship. He called it a long obedience in the right direction. It's a lifetime journey that we are called to. We don't lead him. We don't live our lives and ask him to follow us around, helping us whenever we begin to stumble. No, we focus on him. We stay connected with him. We allow him to guide us, to change our hearts, to renew our minds. We basically say to him, whenever, wherever, and whatever. Whenever you want me to act, God, I will act. And wherever you want that to be, I will go. And what, when, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Those are the ways that we are submitting to our Lord. When we say we will follow him. This word follow, out of the three verbs, to deny, to take up, and to follow, is the only one in the present tense. And that means that it is to be continual. This is a, a lifetime journey. So when we talk about giving God uh, allegiance to our lives, when we talk about our loyalty to him and letting that permeate every area of life, I think it's fleshed out over a lifetime. No one can just flip a switch and say, okay, God, you're completely in control of this area. It's never going to be a temptation for me again. I'm done and go on. No, the Lord's going to deal with that area. And when it's done, when he says it's done, he'll move us on to the next area and the next and the next. Now, now that may seem discouraging. That there's no perfection in the next six months for either one of us. But the truth is, it's very hopeful. It's very hopeful. Because we're fallen people. We are broken and imperfect people. And we're just going to screw up. And there are going to be days when we don't stay connected and definitely days when we don't stay on mission. But our Lord continues to work on us. He continues to draw us back to himself. He continues to say, follow me. And he's ready to restore us at any given moment. He leads us, he guides us, he empowers us to serve him. We must always be on that path. Well, when we serve Jesus in this world, what will it look like? And what I want to do here is leave the Gospel of Luke and go over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, verses 21 to 39. And what we have in these verses is a very interesting section in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, the first eight chapters, he's just letting everybody know who Jesus is, and it's mainly through what he has authority over. He comes out and says, repent, believe in the gospel, the kingdom is at hand. And then he's going to do all these things, show authority over God's word, authority to forgive sins, authority over demons and disease and death. And in the process, he is revealing himself as the Messiah. And then there's that key moment where Jesus says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they come up with all these ideas. And then the father puts it in Peter's mind to say, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And everything clicks for him. Everything begins to fall into place as to who he is. And then he leads them to Jerusalem for the next six months in an area of discipleship. Well, in chapter 1, what he does for us here is give us a day in the life of Jesus in verses 21 to 39. So it's an actual 24-hour period. It starts on a Saturday morning because it's the Sabbath, and it finishes before dawn on Sunday morning. So I want us to look closely at this with implications for our ministry, for staying connected to Jesus and staying on mission with him. And our faithful engagement with him will always mean that we are growing in an ever-deepening love relationship with him. It's an exhausting day. It's a demanding day of ministry. And there are four movements here. In verses 21 to 28, we see that Jesus is committed to the word of God. This is a bright Saturday morning, and he takes his four new friends, James and John, Simon and Andrew, and they head to the synagogue. 
and Jesus begins to teach. He takes one of those scrolls from the Old Testament and he teaches. And he teaches in a way that the people there have never heard before. He's teaching like the author of the book. He's got that kind of authority and it is noticeable. There's a buzz in the room and the, the, the people kind of glance at one another and, and they, they realize something's extremely different here. He is not quoting the rabbis. He's not telling us what others say about this passage. No, he's explaining it to us as if he wrote it himself. In fact, this is what Mark wrote in chapter 1, verse 22. He said they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When we go where Jesus is leading us in this world, whether it's the workplace or the home or the gym or vacation, wherever it is, we've got to be committed to God's word just like Jesus. God's word is powerful and dynamic and living and God's word understands us. God's word teaches us and rebukes us and corrects us and trains us. And so when we go to God's word, we go knowing that God's word is going to speak to our lives right now. It's going to speak to the motivations of our heart. We can go with great anticipation that this is not a dead history book given to us to learn facts. No, this is God's word that is willing to change us if we submit to him. And so we go to God's word, just like Jesus did. We've got to have that kind of uh, willingness to face the day, allowing God's word to get through us and guide us. And just like in our days with Jesus, there's a, a conflict immediately. There's spiritual warfare. It arose in the synagogue. And that's true anytime God's word is being played out, right? Whether it's verbally or in our lives. And in this instance, in the synagogue, there was a, a gentleman who was uh, possessed by a demon. And the way it's written, I actually kind of believe that the people were used to him. That they knew that's what old Johnny was like. That anything could erupt at any time with old Johnny and there's something just off about him. And so what happens is Jesus is teaching as he is giving God's word. The demon speaks up and says, what do you want with us? As if he's the only one reason Jesus is there. I know you. You are the Holy One of God. Are you here to destroy me? And Jesus rebukes him. He just gives him a word. Cast out that demon. And once again, the people thought they were amazed when they heard God's word being taught. Now they were stunned. There were no incantations. There were no rituals. There was no dancing, no yelling, no screaming. There was only, get out of that man. And the demon, one last effort to rebel, convulsed the man and then left immediately. There's always going to be conflict in our lives anytime we go out bringing the presence of Jesus. That's the nature of spiritual warfare. But God's word, a commitment to God's word, gives us strength, gives us guidance, prepares us to deal with what is coming in life. Jesus today started well with the excitement of going to worship and he served the people by teaching them and, and healed this Man, by casting out the demon, this miracle authenticated his teaching. And then we see in the second movement, verses 29 to 31, that Jesus was committed to serve with compassion. He and these four disciples leave the synagogue and they wander on down to Peter's house there in Capernaum. And they go to Peter's house and maybe they're, they're talking about the day. Maybe they're talking about what kind of fish would be available right now if you were to go out on the boat. Maybe they're talking about what they're going to have for a big meal. But they get to the house and they discover that Peter's mother-in-law is ill with a fever. Now, Jesus has just had a demanding time of teaching God's word, being with people, interacting with them. And casting out a demon. It would be easy, in my mind, for him to say, hey, we'll let that fever run its course. She's going to be okay. But he doesn't do that. And this is what we read 
In verse 31, and he came to her and he raised her up, taking her by the hand and the fever left her and she waited on them. Jesus took the initiative. And what that gives us is just a, a small slice of his nature. That he is compassionate. That when you and I follow him, he understands our needs. And he doesn't just leave us to ourselves. He moves into our lives to bring us whatever healing we need. As long as we submit to him, as long as we depend upon him. Jesus healed her. And she was so excited, she wouldn't let them fix the meal. She said, I'm going to do this. I want to respond to him because this guy just healed me. This guy you've been following, Peter. The third movement we see that Jesus was committed to serve when the demands were high. And, and this third movement touches on a, a, a familiar scene for all of us. And that is... Being called on when you've given all you have all day long. Being called on when you're ready to just kind of relax and be refreshed. Because we're told now that it is after dark, which means that the Sabbath has ended and that the new day is here by the Jewish accounting of the days. And so people are free to travel and, and, and who knows what Jesus and Peter and John and James and uh, Andrew are doing doing in the house. Maybe they're relaxing. Maybe they're having a conversation. I don't know. But pretty soon there's a crowd outside and pretty soon that crowd doubles and triples and there are hundreds of people out there. Why is that? Because word has circulated on that shore of the Sea of Galilee that this man Jesus heals people. And so everybody comes running. Everybody comes running. They want to be healed. Some of them want to be healed of demons. Some of them want to be healed of physical ailments. Some of them want to be healed of mental and emotional illnesses. These people want to see Jesus. And so they come. They come. Jesus has taught and interacted throughout the day with lots of people. He's healed. He's taught. He's cast out demons. But his commitment to the Father, to doing his will, to doing what he is called to do. And if we look at John, the Gospel of John, seriously, to listen to the Father. To do what the Father tells him to do. He stayed that evening. And I don't know how many hours it took, but he healed all of them. That's incredible. What an incredible gift that Jesus would do that. That he was committed to serve when the demands were high, even after a normal, demanding, exhausting day of ministry. How could he keep serving? How could he do that? Well, we get a little taste of that in verses 35 to 39. And this is a, one of the secrets that Jesus lets us in on to empower our lives. And we see in verses 35 to 39 that Jesus was committed to commune with the Father. One last snapshot of Jesus on this 24-hour day. It's early in the dawn. Scholars, for whatever reason, guess it's somewhere around 4 a.m. So think back to yesterday. He's gone with his friends to worship. They've taught, he's taught. He's cast out demons. They've come home. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. They had a meal. They're relaxing. And then he's healed hundreds. And somewhere in the next few hours, he sleeps, and then he's up again. Is he up again because he was forced to be, because somebody else needed him? No, he was intentional. He was disciplined in his communion with the Father. He chose to stay connected to the Father. If he was going to say what the Father told him to say, if he was going to do what the Father told him to do, he had to be in touch with the Father. And so we get a picture of Jesus communing with the Father. I'm going to read verse 35. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. 
That word secluded is an interesting word. It's the same word that was used for the wilderness. And when you think back to the wilderness experience that Jesus had where he was tempted by Satan, you could think of the wilderness as a place of victory. This secluded place was a place of victory because Jesus had depended upon the word of God. He had been ministered to by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the angels and he had had victory over Satan and victory over temptation. And so he's going to the Father for a form of victory. I think it's very legitimate for us to think about our communion with the Lord is a time of victory. It's a time when he is building into us. It's a time when he was settling our nerves and reducing our anxieties and calming our fears. More importantly, it's a time when we are getting to know him and a fresh understanding of his grace and a knowledge of who he is and what he is capable of. Jesus was disciplined. He was focused on the Father. He was preparing for whatever the next day would bring. And we can do the same. Whenever we enter a, go to God's word, we enter a place of victory. But Jesus doesn't only go for connection with the Father, for communion with the Father. In the process, he wants to stay on mission. Because this is a huge time of temptation. He has just been with hundreds the night before who are clamoring to be with him. And, and so the disciples, they wake up in the morning and they realize he's not there. And they go searching for him. They find him. And they say, Jesus, come on. You're a celebrity. People want you. We got to take advantage of this. This is such a great time. Let them know who you are. Heal some more. Teach some more. Let's ride this wave while it's going. It's a great time of temptation. It's interesting that in the Gospel of Mark, we're only told on three occasions about the prayer of Jesus. But each time is a time of great temptation, a time for him to go his way instead of God's way. But each time he chooses to go God's way. That's what communion with the Father will do for us. That's what a commitment to prayer and to God's word will do. And so we read this in verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. That is what I came for. That is the mission the Father is giving him. That is what the Father is telling him to do. And he lets his disciples know, we're going to stay on mission. The time of communion became the source of his strength. That's how he could keep going each day, day after day. That's how he could face spiritual warfare. And that's how he could know that he was doing what the Father wanted him to do. It works in our lives as well. The Christian life is not hard. It's not difficult. It's impossible especially for broken, imperfect people. And that's why we want to stay connected to Jesus. That's why we want to develop a commitment to prayer and God's word. And it's going to look different in all of our lives. But we want to stay connected with Jesus so that we are empowered with him, so that we begin to experience that loving relationship that he has for us, so that we can prepare in private to be ready in public to serve him. What would that look like for us in our lives? Let's look at a couple of scenarios. Faithful engagement means following Jesus in a deepening love relationship. I want to consider three scenarios that this love relationship for Jesus, with Jesus, might help us stay connected and might help us stay on mission and how it might look differently in different lives. So if you'll bear with me, I've made up some fictional stories that may or may not connect with where you are at in life. But I want you to think of the, young, the, the mother with young children at home who probably thought of Mark 1. You call that demanding? Because her rugrats are always circling around her, grabbing at her, clamoring for her 24-7. She wants to stay connected to Jesus and she wants to stay on mission. 
but it's not going to look like virtually anyone else. And that's the reason that one of her favorite songs is You Say by Lauren Daigle. Because it's a song that reminds her of who tells her who her identity is. A song that reminds her of the love of Jesus for her. And so she goes through her day attempting to stay connected to Jesus and staying on mission for him. So circumstances don't allow a a long, in-depth Bible study right now. What she's done is created several cards that she's placed strategically around the house. The refrigerator, the bathroom mirror, over the crib. Different places that she knows she's going to end up. And they all have the same verse on them. They have John 15, 5. This is her desire to stay connected with Jesus, to hear his words over and over, to meditate on them. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, she bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Circumstances won't allow that deep, in-depth Bible study, but they will allow her to meditate on God's word, to be connected to Jesus. And so the Lord gives her the idea of investing in her children, even at such young ages. And so she sits down with them and she says, okay, once a day, I'm going to be intentional about teaching them to be grateful, to be thankful. And so once a day, at some point, we're going to all say something that we're thankful for. Because as they grow up, that, that could just revolutionize their, li- revolutionize their lives. It could have side effects of humility and thankfulness. It could help them anticipate what God is doing. And, and so she does that. And sometimes it just falls flat. And sometimes the children participate. And sometimes there's that one little nugget, that, that insight that can only come from the innocence of a child of what that child is thankful for. And so she carries on. And when she lays her head on the pillow that night and closes her eyes, she can sense the smile of her heavenly father because she has stayed connected with Jesus Christ. And she has stayed on mission, giving her life to the children, even when the demands are high and trying to focus them intentionally on God and his good and perfect gifts. How about the career persons whose favorite song is Zach Williams, There Was Jesus. For the career woman that I'm thinking of, she loves that song because it reminds her that all through life, Jesus was with her. And he helped her make wise decisions. And she can look back and praise him for the grace that she continues to experience because of his work in her life. And for the career man that I'm thinking of, there was Jesus is is just a, a healing song because it reminds him that through all his foolish choices, Jesus was there. Jesus never abandoned him. Jesus was drawing him back through his kindness and through his love. And Jesus is continually restoring him and has redeemed his life. And so she, she attempts to stay connected to Jesus. She goes to the gym three mornings a week. And she says, for this season of my life, I'm going to listen to podcasts of these really great, inspiring uh, women speakers. And so she goes to Women of Faith and and Priscilla Shire and and all these other great women speakers. And she fills her mind with God's truth as she listens to them while she's working out. And she engages in this in-depth Bible study that uh, is addressing issues in her life right now. There's a little bit of anxiety and she wants to deal with that. And so she, she chose a study that would help her deal with that and take her right to specific passages and, and help begin to dissipate what's going on in her heart. And for her mission, she believes that God has called her just to be present at work that with the people there, that she is to bring his presence. And so when they're having difficulties or when they are celebrating, she wants to be there in the mix and be with them. And when they're in difficulty, she'll just stay with them. She offers a loving presence to them. 
For the career man, he's, he's involved in a men's Bible study because he needs that weekly encouragement. He needs to be in God's word and he needs some accountability to make sure he's in God's word. And he loves hearing what is coming out of the other men's minds because their hearts are being changed as they discuss God's word. And when he's at work, he believes God has given him a mission, a simple mission, just to pray for others. And so he, he goes around the office saying, what can I pray for you this week? And at first it was a little awkward. <laughs> People made fun of him and then they started calling him the praying man. But he's learned over the last few months that now they seek him out. In fact, he, he realized this week that he was hardly even going around anybody's office because they were all coming to him individually and allowing him to pray for them. He was seeing heart change and he's asking the Lord for spiritual conversations to lead them to Jesus. Stay connected through Bible study and stayed on mission. Well, the second scenario is career persons, and the third is just students. Students who are often split and distracted in many ways, having to do work at school and work to pay for school and to pay for gas, and, and often with home responsibilities as well. But they live in a sex-saturated culture, and so they choose to live their lives for purity. Their favorite song is No Longer Slaves because they recognize what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. And through faith in him, not only do they experience hell is canceled and heaven is guaranteed, but they experience the power of Jesus in their life because the power of sin is broken. And so they depend upon him. They get together in their small groups where life is raw and life is real and, and they expose their hearts to God's word and they see him work in their life. And they see their mission as being to help others. They're at a place in life where they have lots of energy and strength and so they go around offering to help. And they're the first to volunteer when things need to be done. Three little scenarios that give us a little view of what it means to respond to Jesus in this loving relationship. That's faithful engagement, an ever-deepening love relationship with Jesus. And in that love relationship, we stay connected with Jesus. It becomes a, a desire, and we stay connected with the mission that he has given to us. And we begin to understand that mission. There's something beautiful and holy about seeing him kind of remove the dross from our life and experiencing his favor in our life. And at Conroe Bible Church, as we go forward, we want to be constant and biblical and passionate about this core value of faithful engagement. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you, the creator of the universe, the sustainer, the one who went to the cross was buried and rose again. You offer us life by simply asking us to trust you as Savior. You forgive sins and you move into our life with your life to lead us. And we ask for grace to respond to you. We ask for grace to stay engaged. We ask for grace to continue daily. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Let's stand together.
See you.